Good afternoon. I'm Shelby Herbert. Welcome to Midday Magazine for February 16th, Thursday. Portable Southeast is an island-hopping art show designed to break down the physical and social barriers that divide the Alaska Panhandle. It's organized by the Juno Arts and Humanities Council and showcases work from Alaskan artists across six different towns and cities. Each month, the exhibit's 22 paintings are flown to a new venue. Right now, they are hanging on the walls of Petersburg's Clausen Memorial Museum. I visited the exhibit and have this report. Director of Petersburg's Museum, Cindy Lagadakis, unpacked the exhibit at the beginning of February. She says the pieces came off the jet in individual tote bags. Juno Arts and Humanities Council has done a really incredible job of organizing this. And the totes were set up with foam to protect each image. Everything is labeled, so everything will go back in the exact same spot that they were shipped to me. It makes it very easy to pack it up and very easy to unpack it, except for I almost missed one little piece I thought was missing. And then The piece she's talking about is a photo painting made of scrap plastic, and it's immediately clear why she almost missed it. The picture is nearly transparent. It's also tiny. The weathered frame could easily sit in the palm of your hand. It's titled, I Am Alive by Katie Ioni Craney and features words in Braille. Logodakis carefully placed it in a beam of light and at eye level, inviting viewers to reach out and touch its raised surface. The Juno Arts and Humanities Council sends along suggestions for how to arrange the art, but each museum space is different. Lagadakis says curators have a lot of creative control over where the art goes during each visit. You know, every space that's displaying the art is different, so you have to accommodate what available space you have, how people are going to see it when they walk into the gallery. You know, you want people to feel invited and also see enough that they're drawn in and they want to look at more of the artwork and um, create little vignettes of color and subject and texture. So Portable Southeast features a wide range of mediums, including embroidery, oil painting, and basketry. There's even a two-foot-long jellyfish made out of plastic trash. It dangles from the ceiling. The tentacles flutter with every slight draft of wind. The spread of art is diverse, but each piece is travel-sized and illustrates some aspect of life on the coast. Last year, a panel of curators from across southeast Alaska, including Lagadakis, selected the 22 pieces you can see today. We intentionally spread out, you know, we wanted as many artists represented as possible. So I think you were only allowed to submit three pieces because we didn't want a whole show of just one or two people. We wanted to make sure there was a broad representation. The idea was to grab as many different pieces of art as we could. The Portable Southeast exhibit will tour across Southeast Alaska until June. Its next stops are Harbor Mountain Brewing Company in Sitka, then Port Chilkoot Distillery in Haines. Before the exhibit returns to Juneau, it will visit a yet undetermined location in Yakutat. In Petersburg, I'm Shelby Herbert. The Portable Southeast exhibit features several artists from Petersburg. It is open to the public at the Clausen Memorial Museum until February 27th. The State Affairs Committee heard a bill 
on Tuesday that would make Juneteenth a legal holiday in Alaska for the first time this legislative session. Juneteenth is a national holiday on June 19th that commemorates the day when enslaved people in Galveston learned they were free from a Union soldier more than two months after the end of the Civil War. The holiday is recognized nationally and by 24 other states. Senator L.V. Gray Jackson first introduced the bill in 2021. It was referred to committee, but it didn't advance before the session ended last year. She reintroduced the bill at the start of this year's session. At the hearing, she said that this moment is is especially urgent. Juneteenth has been overlooked for far too long. This moment in our nation's history shows the urgent need for history to be more thoroughly understood. When we talk about America, we often think about high ideals like freedom and justice. By studying Juneteenth, we can better understand how these ideas have simply not been applied equally. Celeste Hodge Groudon with the Alaska Black Caucus testified first on the bill. Becoming a state holiday will not merely give employees a day off. It will give residents a day to think about the future that we want while remembering the inequities of the past. Edward Wesley, formal NAACP of Alaska president, said he thinks the bill would be enshrined in history and could even benefit Alaska financially. I also believe that this bill will help with tourism in this state. I think that we are positioned to receive more tourists in this country, especially in, in, this, in this state, especially from African Americans. Vicki Jo Kennedy in Juneau called in to testify. She said she was in support of the bill, except for the possibility that public transportation wouldn't run on the holiday. The majority of people who ride public transportation in our state alone, just ours did, are people of color. Gray Jackson worked on making Martin Luther, Jing- Martin Luther King Jr. Day a paid holiday in Anchorage in 1999 when she was an assembly staff member. And the first bill she sponsored as a senator became a law establishing February as Black History Month in Alaska. A tribe's push to open federal subsistence hunts and fisheries to Ketchikan residents took a big step last week. The Federal Subsistence Board greenlit a closer look at Ketchikan Indian Community's proposal to redesignate Ketchikan as a rural area under federal rules. If the change goes through, it would greatly expand the ways Ketchikan residents can hunt and fish. The tribe says it's a It's one piece of a fight for an inherent right that's been going on for hundreds of years. But as Reagan Miller reports from Ketchikan, not everyone is thrilled. It all hinges on one key question. Is Ketchikan a rural community? The Federal Subsistence Board voted unanimously earlier this month to conduct a formal study of the question. That means that the board agreed that Ketchikan met four basic guidelines to be considered for a rural designation. Namely, that there's information to support the request and that the community has changed in the years since it was designated as non-rural. Now the board can take a closer look at the proposal's merit. Anthony Christensen is the board chair. Oh, they'll just continue to look at the characteristics, you know, of rural and, you know, access to alternative resources, uh, you know, transportation, 
Um, there's, there's the, a bunch of criteria, you know, characteristics of and uh, uses of the surrounding resources, uh, things like that. So they look, uh, you know, more closely at the uh, community itself. Christensen says he doesn't know what the board will decide, but pointed to Saxman, a smaller community on Ketchikan's road system. The town of about 400 was redesignated as rural in 2016. When they went through it with Saxman, you know, uh, obviously Saxman got its rural status, and it's a similar in nature, even though, you know, they, they were able to distinct their community as a different community. Still, the, the majority of the characteristics are similar in nature, but uh Based off of uh, that, that's what they'll be looking for is if they meet a similar criteria like uh, as Saxman did when they went through the process. Trixie Bennett, the Ketchikan Indian community's past president and a tribal council member, was one of a handful of tribe representatives who testified at the meeting. She says this is a hopeful step forward. My great-great-great-grandfather was fighting for hunting and fishing rights way back in 1890s. right after the Organic Act took away rights to our land and access to the land. Um, And here we are 130 years later, um, finally making some progress for the people of Ketchikan, for the native people of Ketchikan. Bennett says much of the work has involved the state's Department of Fish and Game, the Department of the Interior, and the Office of Subsistence Management. But despite a sense of hope among many in Ketchikan, others worry the change will open up new problems when it comes to resource management. On nearby Prince of Wales Island, at least one key subsistence resource is already stressed. Clinton Cook is the president of the Craig Tribal Association, the tribe based in Prince of Wales Island's largest community. When you start allowing cities rural status, it will take resources from members in our communities that have rural status. For years, residents have worried over declining deer populations. Cook says that more hunters coming to the island would mean less chances for locals to fill their freezers. Hunters from rural communities get to start deer season a month early in July. Rural hunters also can hunt in more areas than non-rural hunters. You're inviting two to 3,000 more people to come and take a resource that's already strained. Cook also mentioned Saxman's rural status. But he says Saxman and Ketchikan are different places, despite the fact that they're connected to the same road system on the same island. It took Saxman many years, many attempts to become become rural. Saxman is a different community than Ketchikan. Cook says his tribe will be drafting a resolution against a rural designation for Ketchikan. He says he's working to rally opposition from tribes across the island. If Ketchikan becomes rural, who says Juneau can't apply it to be rural status and or anchorage? and then the whole state might as well be considered a rural area. It's not clear how widespread opposition is on Prince of Wales Island. Federally recognized tribes in Heidelberg, Klawak, and Kassan did not return requests for comment on the proposal. And as it happens, Christensen, the federal subsistence board chair who voted to advance the proposal, is the mayor of the city of Heidelberg. Cook says that Ketchikan's tribe should have come to the island and met with local tribes before pushing for the redesignation. Bennett from Ketchikan's tribe says there was some outreach, but not enough. But we know we need to reach out to the tribes over there on Prince of Wales, and we're looking forward to that work. She says it's a priority going forward, and Cassian and Heidelberg have already invited Ketchikan's tribe to visit. Bennett says the groups will be looking into ways to protect local hunters on Prince of Wales Island. She pointed to regulations that could prohibit Ketchikan hunters from harvesting on the island if the population got too low. A final decision on Ketchikan's status isn't expected until 2025. Reporting in Ketchikan, I'm Reagan Miller.
For KFSK, I'm Michelle.